Please be seated. Grab your Bible. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The other day, I made a pilgrimage to a very spiritual place. Uh, I call it the promised land, while a lot of people just call it Chick-fil-A. Anybody with me on that? You're going to Chick-fil-A. It's a spiritual experience. There's just something about it. Like, I'm convinced it's God's favorite restaurant. And I know it's, it's not the healthiest food in the world, but I, but I like to think the calories at Chick-fil-A are forgiven. Either way, it's, it's great food. It's the best food in the world? No. But everyone knows the best part about Chick-fil-A is the customer service. I mean, those people are incredibly nice. They always go above and beyond. For example, a few years ago, there was this string of news stories about Chick-fil-A employees and, and the lengths they would go to to serve the customer. And one employee, he went outside of their store and he gave a homeless man his shoes. Another employee saved someone in his restaurant from choking. And then here in Kansas City, there, there was a story about a mom who was outside the restaurant holding her child when she dropped her keys into the sewer drain right outside Chick-fil-A. Well, the manager, he came outside, he climbed down into the train, he retrieved the keys, and get this, when he got out, he said, ma'am, is it okay if I go wash these off for you? That is dedication, right? Chick-fil-A is simply the best when it comes to customer service, and no, I am not sponsored by them. I'm not getting any kickbacks here, though I would gladly take a free chicken sandwich. I simply want to point out that the reason Chick-fil-A has such great customer service is because it's one of their values. It's clear that this is something very important to them. So when they hire employees, it's something they look for. When they're training their employees, that's something they really emphasize. For example, when I was at Chick-fil-A and I told the employee who brought me my food, I said, thank you. Do you know what he said? What is that? That's right. Can you believe that? He said, my place said it brought him pleasure to bring me a chicken sandwich and waffle fries. I couldn't believe it. And since that brought him such pleasure, I asked him to also refill my drink. <laughs> now, serving my food probably uh, did not actually bring him much pleasure for the amount he's paid hourly. But he said it because he was trained to say it. Right? Customer service is one of Chick-fil-A's values. It's important to them. So they build their business around it right down to the phrases they use. Every business, every company has values. Some of them stated on their website. They put it on the wall. They might value affordability or convenience or fast service. But every company has a set of values. And it's not just businesses that have values, but families also have values. We may not put it in writing, but all of our families have things that are important to us, things that we hold in high regard. And also, we as individuals, too, have values. Again, you may not be able to rattle them off this morning, but if we were to look at your life, we would find a particular set of ideals that are very important to you, things that motivate and guide the decisions that you make. That's what values are. They are a set of beliefs or principles that determine why you do what you do. Values are simply what's most important to you. So with that defined this morning, let's ask this question. What are the values of this church? What are the values of Blue Valley? Well, I'm so glad that you asked because today we are starting a four-week series walking through the 12 core values of our church. 
Now, typically the way we preach here is by walking through a particular book of the Bible. It's one of our values, as you'll see. But occasionally we do take breaks for a short series on something important like our values. And that's what we're going to do this month. But even when we do a shorter topical series, we will still have a text of Scripture as our foundation because we want everything we say and do to be built on God's Word. So each week, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with a passage. We're going to get an understanding of what God wants to say to us. And then I'm going to show you how the values of our church are built on that passage and what it means practically for us today. We've taken the 12 values. We've grouped them together into four different themes or ideas. And today's theme is church health. So let's read through our passage today. And then we'll see how it lays a foundation for a few of our values concerning the health of our church. Uh, If you're able to this morning, would you please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Amen. You can be seated. If you've ever wondered why we call the church the body of Christ, well, here you have it. This is a famous analogy from the Apostle Paul where he simply compares the local church to a human body. He tells us that the church is not a business or an organization or a club or a place you go or an event you attend. The church is a living organism made up of people. And it's very similar to the bodies we all live in. There are three ways that Paul wants to compare a human body to a church body. Here's the first. First is that like a human body, the church is one. The church is one. Look at those first two verses, uh, 12 and 13. Just in those two verses, we see five times the word one. That's the idea here. So, So think with me about your human body. Your body is one interconnected, joined together organism. Your feet cannot go one direction that your hands cannot. Your brain cannot enter a room and leave your lungs in another room. Where you go, all of you goes as one body. Unless, of course, you lose a part of your body. And I will not get into the medical details here, but 
If a part of your body is removed from the rest, it will die. Uh, Some of you may have had your appendix removed. That's pretty common surgery. And your appendix, wherever it is now, it's like appendix heaven or something, it's no longer a part of you. right? And because it's no longer a part of your one body. Church body is the same way. It's called the body of Christ because when we are saved, when we become followers of Jesus, first off, we're joined to Christ. He's our head. We're joined to him forever. But we're also joined to one another. You and I, as followers of Jesus, and particularly as members of the same local church, have been united. As Paul says, we've all been baptized into one body. So that's the first comparison Paul makes. Just as a human body is one whole So is the body of Christ. Here's the second way he says the two bodies are similar. He says they're both made up of many parts. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. That's pretty obvious, right? Some of you back in high school or college, you took anatomy class. I remember my wife, when she was in nursing school, she had to take multiple courses on anatomy, and they were known for being incredibly hard I remember she had this huge stack of note cards that she carried everywhere we went that she'd flip through to try to memorize all the different parts of the body. You know, and I tried to tell her that, you know, they they made a song that you could just memorize instead. (laughs) The foot bones connected to the leg bone and the leg Apparently that was not quite detailed enough for nursing school, but, but whatever. The human body is, is it's incredible. If you study it, you see that it's, it's really a beautiful display of God's handiwork and his craftsmanship as our creator. There's so many different parts inside of us we don't even know about. They all have to work together to make up one healthy human body. The church is the same way. Though we are all joined together as one, we are all different people. And that, too, is by God's design. Look at verses 18 and 19. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We all have different personalities, different giftings, different passions, different roles, and that's intentional. And that's on purpose because God wants that in his church. Aren't you grateful that God gave us people with amazing musical ability in this church? I know Jeremy is. They do a great job. Aren't you grateful we have people who go and serve at Rolling Ridge and Mission Southside? Aren't you grateful there are people who are good with teaching two-year-olds the Bible? I say to that, praise the Lord. Because i got to tell you, I spent one week last year on Sunday night in our Cubbies ministry. (laughs) And I walked away that night. Telling Jen, our little kids director, that the people who teach toddlers every week, their job is 10 times harder than mine. Like when I get to heaven, I will be living in the guest house of the mansions of our little kids workers. I mean, it's amazing what they do. So I'm I'm really grateful that God has given us members who are good at that. Just like a human body, a healthy church needs all kinds of people. Here's the third and last comparison Paul wants to make. Just like a human body... Church body needs unity in its diversity. We need all the parts working together. Some of you have experienced how important it is that your human body has unity and diversity. Maybe you had a particular health issue where one part of your body decided to stop working. Maybe that was a muscle or a kidney or maybe even your heart. 
And you found out that when one part stops doing its job, it affects everything else. doesn't matter how strong your lungs are, how sharp your brain is, how big your muscles are. If your heart stops pumping blood, you're in trouble. Your whole body will shut down. Same thing is true of the church body. Every part, every member is important. Everyone must play their role or else the body won't be healthy. Just as an eye can't say to a hand, I don't need you. One member can't say to another, I don't need you. Truth is, we all need each other. This is a group project. This is a joint mission. So Paul sums it up like this in verse 26. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's the message. The body of Christ is like a human body. It's one united whole made up of many different parts, each fulfilling their own role and yet all working together with unity in diversity. That's what a healthy local church looks like. So what values do we have at Blue Valley that build on this passage? What, what principles do we have that guide us into being a healthy church? Well, there are three of them. Three of them I want to share with you this morning. Because the local church should be a healthy body, here's the first. Number one, we value plurality and leadership that facilitates our church's focus on Christ as the head of the church and creates a culture of leadership development. You can see that on the screen. I know that is a mouthful, so let's break that down. This is our value about how we structure the leadership of our church. And here's the key question we need to understand. What is plurality of leadership and why does that even matter? Plurality, plur, plurality, it's a hard word. Plurality of leadership is a model where leadership is shared amongst multiple people rather than consolidated into one central person. Now, like many of you, I, I grew up in a Baptist church. That was my background. It's been my whole life. So I won't speak to how other denominations work. I know there are a lot of different variations of leadership style out there. But the most common structure of leadership in a Baptist church is where you got one pastor at the top. Right? That's the senior pastor, and he is the guy. Right? He functions kind of like the CEO, the president. That's not always the case, but in my experience, that's the most common. In fact, that's the way Blue Valley functioned for many years. Pastor Derek, who is our lead pastor, he actually led our church back in 2016 to transition away from that model to a different model where now we have multiple pastors or elders, uh, some who are vocational, meaning they are employed by the church, and some who are lay pastors, meaning they're not employed by the church, but they have the same level of authority. And while Derek is our lead pastor and he oversees our staff on a day-to-day -day basis, our elders lead the church together. Every elder has one vote, and we all make decisions together. We shepherd the flock together. That's plurality of leadership. Rather than one guy at the top with all the power, it's a group of men sharing the load. Now, why is this important? I mean, why, why does this matter to you? Well, I want you to know this is a whole lot more important than you might realize. Now, I've told you before, plurality of leadership is one of the big reasons I believe God was calling me to Blue Valley. Growing up, again, the senior pastor as a CEO, that was the only model I knew wasn't until seminary that I really began to see that maybe there's another way. Two things that helped me see this. First off, I really studied what the New Testament teaches. 
And I learned that the early church likely functioned with multiple elders leading each church. Now, the New Testament is not very explicit here. Uh, it does not tell us how many elders a church needs or <clears throat> how many deacons or that you need a worship pastor and a youth pastor. It's not explicit in that way. So I do believe there's some freedom here. But we see that when Paul started churches and wrote to churches, he spoke of elders in the plural. That was the first thing that kind of struck me. The second thing I saw was that many of the pastors I looked up to fell out of ministry. And they were guys who were living the ministry dream, what we all young guys wanted to be, you know, the big church and all this influence. And they were the guys, right? They were at the top. And then came the moral failures and the burnouts and domineering leadership and power hunger. And it pushed me to see that maybe plurality of leadership is really a healthy model because there's built-in accountability. Like one guy cannot just go rogue and burn the place down. And there's also a safety net built in if something happens to one of the pastors. This is why we have that leadership development. We're raising up new, younger elders. So as guys go off and retire or step away, the ministry of the church carries on. And the big reason I think this model is, is so healthy is because it doesn't place that burden of leadership on one person. And I have no desire to be this one CEO leader of a church. And I don't think God has designed us to function that way. And that's what has led, in my humble opinion, to a lot of the problems we see in church leadership today. Shared leadership spreads the burden. But hang on a second, you might be thinking. Who keeps the elders in check? I mean, what keeps those 15 guys at our church from banding together and running this thing in the ground? Well, that's where the congregation comes in. You! That's you. We, we actually have built into our church bylaws and constitution, which I know all of you have read very thoroughly. We have it built in there that the congregation has a role. They have to approve the major decisions of our church. So when we hire or fire elders, when we buy or sell property, when we uh, vote on the budget, when we vote on leadership like the deacons, the church has to approve. That means the congregation also has a leadership role in our church. And what this plurality of leadership does with the elders and the deacons and the congregation is being spread out like that. Ultimately, what it does is it facilitates a focus on Jesus as the head of this church. It reminds us that Pastor Derek is not the head of the church. The elders are not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. We belong to him, and we submit to his authority. So rather than looking to one person as the leader that we all just blindly follow, sounds kind of more like a cult, <laughs> having shared leadership reminds us that we're all merely parts of one body. We all have our own role. And some of us, yes, some of us are called to lead. But as parts of the body, we all sit under the one head, Jesus Christ. That's what we learn in 1 Corinthians 12 makes for a healthy, growing church. And that's why we hold this as a value. Here's the second value I want you to see today. Because the local church should be a healthy body. Number two, we value systems and policies that provide support for a complex ministry. Now, this is not the most exciting value. This will not win an award for the value of the year. But let me personally attest to you how vital it is that we have some systems and policies in place to organize this thing. 
don't know if you know this, but the average church in America today is about 70 people. So that means we are a bigger church. We're not a mega church, but we do have a lot going on. We have several staff members and administrators. We have multiple campuses and a Spanish language mission. We have multiple properties to care for and a multi-million dollar budget. So I got to tell you, when I first came on staff here, I, I was a bit overwhelmed. Actually, I was a lot overwhelmed. I came from a smaller church where things were a lot simpler, where I cut on the lights, unlocked the doors, and set up the tables. So when I showed up here, I had a lot to learn. And there were times where I thought, man, is this, is this all really necessary? But I discovered this is all really necessary. And now I'm very thankful to be a part of a church that is organized well. Like we saw in 1 Corinthians 12, a church cannot be a healthy body unless it's organized. Each part has to know its role. They have to function well together. And the body won't grow if everything doesn't work properly together. It's kind of like a, a trellis in a vine. What is the purpose of a trellis? That's to provide structure for the vine to grow on. The goal, what you want, is to grow the vine. But you can't do that without providing a trellis for it to grow on. The church is the same way. We want to grow. We want to reach people. That's our mission. But without a healthy trellis or structure... That won't happen. This is why at Blue Valley we have strong financial systems and policies in place. We have a finance team made up of elders, deacons, and members from both campuses that look over our spending every month. We have checks and balances in place so that no one spends money or takes money without someone else knowing about it. We have an outside organization that writes our checks and does our accounting and every year we submit to a voluntary audit of all our finances. No one in their right mind does a voluntary audit, but we do. So when you give to our church, you can be confident that your money is well protected and will be well stewarded. In fact, you may not know this, but I have no idea who gives to the offering and what amount they give. All of that is completely anonymous except for a small team of members who count the money on Monday. Those financial policies, this is just one example. We also have policies to protect the, the children of our church. We, we have an extensive handbook that our little kids and big kids ministry has made that lays out guidelines we use to keep our children safe. Our volunteers go through background checks and trainings and how to be aware of the potential abuse. We also have policies on how our building is used. We have policies on how we publicize things. We have policies for our staff and how we work. And while all that may seem like a lot to some people, it really provides the support we need to be a healthy body. And look, we're not a perfect church. We're not beyond system failures because no one is beyond system failures and we are still figuring some things out. But I tell people, honestly, I've never been a part of a church like Blue Valley. Yes, I'm biased. I work here. I love this church. But I also trust our church. I trusted enough to give my tithe to it every week. I trusted enough to put my kids in our ministries. I appreciate the way we steward our resources, and there's a clear pathway for us to be the church God's called us to be. I'm grateful that we have systems and policies. That's the second value that leads to church health. Here's the third and last. Because the local church should be a healthy body, number three, we value a strong understanding of church membership and believe that it carries both responsibility and privilege. 
new survey came out recently that showed that most Americans who consider themselves to be Christians attend church once a month or less. Among younger generations, that included over two-thirds. And I'm talking here about self-identifying Christians, people who say, I follow Jesus, but who rarely attend and are not involved in a local church. I got to tell you, that's, that's alarming. And that, that should startle us. That most Christians today are attempting to follow Jesus apart from the church he made. Apart from meaningful spiritual connection with other believers. Apart from the body of Christ. And here's what 1 Corinthians 12 has showed us. That ain't going to work. How can we be a part of Jesus' body without being one of the members of his body? How can we be joined with other believers in the family of God when we don't even know who our family is? The whole image of the body of Christ teaches us that we must be joined with other believers. Well, hang on, preacher man. You saying that I got to go to church if I want to make it to heaven? No, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. But I am saying you got to go to church if you want to make it through life. We can't do this on our own. I can't do this on my own. We need one another to follow Jesus and to accomplish his mission. Okay, okay, so I need to show up on Sundays. I get that. I need to be here. But why membership? I mean, why do I need to be a member? I've been asked that question many times. People say, you know, I go to Sunday school. I give my money. What's the point of being a member? Well, the very fact that we have to Ask that question tells me that we've done a really bad job of making membership mean something. Church membership should be meaningful. It's important. Yet, as I heard one pastor say, bowling leagues require more of their members than churches. <laughs> Joining a church may not seem very hip. Membership may feel kind of stuffy or formal. And I know some of you have had bad experiences when you've gotten too close to a church. Let me just give you four quick reasons why I believe you should be a member of a church. Number one, first, you should be a member of a church because the New Testament assumes it. The majority of the New Testament was written to churches or to pastors of churches. And no, you won't find a verse that says you must be a member of a church. But that's because it was assumed. The people in the early church had no other choice but to commit themselves to a church. They were shunned from society. They couldn't practice the things that Paul and others commanded. They couldn't do anything without having some kind of formal commitment to the church and say, these are my people. Second, you should be a member of a church to demonstrate your commitment to Christ and his body. We live in a time today in which making a commitment and being committed to something for the long haul is not popular. We see that in marriage, family, jobs, communities, friendships. People don't like to stick in the same place for a long time. But commitment is necessary to build a relationship, to serve, to care for one another. You have to know people. And what better way to demonstrate your commitment to one another than to say, I am a member. Third, you should be a member of a church to be held accountable. We need someone watching over our souls. We need someone who we know is encouraging us, praying for us, and even leading us. Scripture actually mandates that my calling is to keep watch over the flock, but I can't do that. I can't do my job unless I know who my flock is. We have to have accountability. And fourth, last, you should be a member of a church because it's a great 
privilege. Being a member shouldn't be a have-to thing. It should be a want-to thing. If we really believe in the mission of the church, if we really want the community of the church, if we really trust the leadership of the church, then we should want to be a member. Like we should want to put our names on the line and pledge our lives and commit ourselves to those people and say, hey, that's my family. Those are my people. I'm sticking with them. Let me encourage you. Become a member of a local church. doesn't have to be this one. We have several great churches right here in Olathe, but pick one and stick with it. And I promise that you will find great blessing in that. So those are three of our core values. Three values built upon 1 Corinthians 12 that guide us and direct us into being a healthy body. What does that mean for you? Here's my last word. Here's my closing challenge and we'll be done. As I've made clear, to be a healthy church... It takes all of us. It takes every member being all in, joining the body and playing their part. What does that look like for you? What, what is your next step this morning? Maybe for you, your next step is to make the decision to follow Jesus in faith and to go public with that decision in baptism. Maybe for you, that's to officially become a member of this church and say, hey, I'm putting my name on the line with these people. Maybe that's to get connected with a Sunday school class and begin to get to know people and find better community. Maybe that's to begin serving or to begin tithing or to start a weekly discipleship group and go deeper in your faith. Look, my my intent is not to be a slick salesman this morning, okay? I'm not trying to trick you or to bait and hook you into something so we can be this big, awesome, cool church. I simply believe this stuff. I simply believe that if you want to find your joy and purpose in life, you should do it in the way God designed it. And God designed a body, the body of Christ. He designed us to do this thing together. So what's your part? Which part of the body are you? What does this mean for you? What is your next step in helping us be healthy?